Yeah, it's all good. Can you hear that? Okay. Thank you. So Mark chapter 4. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grape is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is like the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that birds of the air can perch in its shade. And we've been uh, talking, especially at the family camp, about our identity and who we are. And uh, who we are becoming. I think that was even the theme of the family camp, the little phrase, you know, who we are and who we are becoming. I think it's a pretty cool parable, these two parables, just talking about how God grows up in us something, something from deep inside our hearts and something that we can't even control, you know. It's just something that he does in us. And how he can take something that seems small and insignificant, like the the seed of a mustard plant. Thank you. And he can turn something great, uh, make it into something great. And at the family camp, we're talking about superheroes. About I'm using that as a, as a kind of an image of what we are becoming. Um, it's like Superman or Batman, these people who are, who are beyond normal. And as something that maybe we can learn from. But I think if we're going to have, um, have a problem with this, it's going to be because... We can intellectually understand that I've become something new. But in our reality, it can feel like it is just so far away from our actual experience. And so we have these two kind of poles. One is what the Bible says that we are. The other is what I feel like, what my reality says about who I am, or rather my, not my reality, my, my day-to-day life, my experience. And... Um, and so we can get the feeling that, that what has happened in Jesus hasn't been that significant, or it hasn't really changed that much in me, that it hasn't really made that big of a difference. And, I, you know, I, I really grew up in churches where this was kind of, this kind of the way things were done, where the gospel was about you, you get saved for when you die, you go to heaven, you know? And that was the gospel, and... I think more and more realizing that the gospel is that, you know, once I was a sinner, I was out of relationship with God, and that has changed. I, the relationship has been restored. I am being restored, and heaven is the, the culmination of that. But even right now, the gospel matters for us. And right now, it makes a difference in who we are. And um, as you might want to have your Bibles open to uh, to Second Corinthians um, the passage that Julia read. We're going to be looking at that. But I want to use just a couple stories that can maybe help illustrate what it means to be made new, what it means to be a Christian, how that living in this, 
living in this place, what it looks like. And the first, um, if you're a family camp, I, I, I told or I used this there. And it's a story of, uh, that I had when I was a kid. It's Gregory the Grub written by Ethel Barrett. Um, if you weren't at family camp, I'll just give the story quickly. It's Gregory is a grub who just lives on the bottom of a muddy pond. And there's trash and litter around him. He just lives with the other grubs, and that's his life. But he always he has this sense that there's something more. And he has a sense that his experience of reality isn't all that there is, that there's something bigger, there's something better out there. And he figures that's probably above the surface. And he convinces a couple of his friends to propel him above the surface because he just can't get it out of his mind that there's just something bigger and better out there and that he just has to experience it. And so they, they kind of engineer a way for him to you know get some momentum going. And he breaks the surface. This little grub breaks the surface of the water. And boom, all he sees is stars, you know, and, and he, he, gasping for breath, and he, he faints and falls right back into the water and, you know, regains his consciousness and can't really figure out what happened. And it's because he, he's still a grub. He's still not made for living above the surface. He couldn't go there yet. But he wasn't ready to give up, and so he kept trying, kept trying, kept trying to get above the surface. And every time he'd have the same, the same thing would happen. He would faint, he'd fall right back in. He wouldn't even be able to see anything up there. But he was sure it was great. And this one day when he was looking for a way to get to the surface, all of a sudden something started kind of happening in his body. And it was painful and it was uncomfortable. And, you know, he, he just didn't quite like it. And he, all of a sudden he felt like there was something different with him, with his back. And he realized that he had grown wings. And so this time he popped through the surface of the water and he was able to fly and he was able to take off. For the first time in his life, he was able to go above the surface and experience what it was like up there. And he didn't, still didn't really know what had happened. And he still didn't know how to fly very well. But he kept experimenting, kept trying, and he started to figure it out. And the more he did it, the better he got. And soon he ran into another, into this dragonfly, and he, he asked, what have I become? And the dragonfly said, you've become a dragonfly like me. And this is where we live now. And one time he tried to go back underneath the surface to tell his grub friends what it was like up there and what they were missing out on. But he discovered he couldn't go back. And he had so fundamentally changed that he couldn't go back to the way he was. He couldn't go back to living under the water. I think that's a pretty cool story of what happens to us. Pretty cool story of the change that happens in us as Christians. Now, in this passage that Julia read, the first verse, verse 16, it says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Now, from a worldly point of view, Gregory the grub was just a grub. And that was all he was, that was all he would experience. But we are also learning about a heavenly point of view. That when God looks on us, he sees something different than what others might see. And from the heavenly perspective, he might have been a grub, but he was just really just a dragonfly in waiting. His true reality that he would experience was that he was going to become a dragonfly. And from the earthly perspective, a lot of us don't look like much. 
a lot of people who, who are alive today don't look like that much. And we can kind of compare ourselves to a grub. We can feel like we have a lot in common with a grub. But when God looks at us, he sees something a whole lot more. A whole lot more than a grub. The heavenly perspective is saying that I once was a grub, but I am now changed. That part of me is dead. That no longer exists. Just like Gregory couldn't go back to living like a grub because he had so changed so deeply in who he was. We're not going to go back to who we were because we have changed. Now, the the verse here, um, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. It's, it can be easy to, to, to rationalize what the Bible is saying about that, to try to water it down, to try to take it down to our reality, you know, when we don't feel like a new creation. But the power of the gospel is that we have changed. The power of the gospel is that once we meet Jesus, that we are changed, that we are so fundamentally changed that he called us a new creation. It's like we're totally, totally remade. Now when I, I say we have the challenge here, our challenge is that we can say that we're a new creation, but our reality doesn't seem to match up to that. We feel, we feel like we're still old. We feel like not much has changed in us. And so we can recognize the truth, but we don't feel the truth. We don't feel like we can live it. But I think what, what Paul is challenging us to do here, what he's calling us to do, is to learn to live up to who we already are. That we are already made new, and now we have to learn how to live like we're new. It's like Gregory, he was made new into a dragonfly. He had to learn to fly. He had to learn what to eat. He had to learn who he was. In the same way we are learning. We're made new, but we're learning to be new. Now, in this passage, um, Paul talks about our relationship with God. And he says that you're now reconciled with God. If once, before we met Jesus, once we were separated from God, our relationship was, was divided, we couldn't go there anymore, we couldn't come to God. But because of what Jesus did, because he's made us new, that relationship has been restored. We've been reconciled. That is the truth of who we are as a new creation. Now our challenge is to live up to that. Our challenge is to learn to come before God like our relationship is renewed. Like we don't have to beg for his attention. Like we don't have to earn his love. Like we don't have to deserve or... or um, Earn his forgiveness. Where we live like he loves us. We live like we are his children, like he would like he died for us. He cares for us so more much more deeply than we could ever comprehend. And so but learning to live into our reality means learning to live into the freedom of our, our relationship with God. Or we can um, maybe think about this with sin. Uh, Romans like 6 and 7 and 8 
have this really great discussion by Paul of what this means. And Paul is saying that, you know, well, we're a new creation, which means that the old is gone, which means that we are dead to sin. That sin has no more power over us because of what Jesus did. But at the same time, we continue to sin. And that's kind of the reality of our life. Well, it doesn't mean that sin still has power over us. It means that we are learning to live like a new creation. We're learning to live like sin is dead to us. The fact that we sin doesn't change what Jesus has done. It just means that we have to learn to fully live in the reality of our new creation. Or another example is there's a couple times where Paul says that that divisions that divided people, um, say like racial divisions or, or um, social status kind of divisions or gender divisions, that these are gone in Christ. That is the truth of what Jesus did. But at the same time, we still have division in our churches. We still have division in our country. We have division in relationships. It just means that we have to learn to live in the reality of the fact that we are actually united. We're learning to live united, but we are united. And this can, this can feel like work, and it can feel like, um, like we have to... Uh, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say here. It can feel like we're missing out on something. It can feel like something we can beat ourselves down with. Where we can have this, um, this kind of grading system with how much we've experienced. And, and if we haven't experienced something, we, if we haven't learned into, to live into something that we really are, live into our, our identity as new people in Christ, it can feel like something to beat ourselves up with. But I think in reality, it's something that we need to be excited about. If I... If I recognize in myself that, um, that I'm not living up to my reality where, where sin is dead in me and sin has no power over me anymore, I don't have to beat myself up when I sin. I just I can recognize that Jesus has more for me, that Jesus has something else for me to experience, that I don't have to live like this. And so I can be excited because I know that Jesus has something in store for me. I can be excited because I know that my experience today doesn't have to be my experience tomorrow. That, that Jesus is offering me something that's awesome, something that's so much more than what I have right now. I, this, uh, just this last week, Julia was talking to Mitchell about what he wants to become, what he wants to do when he's older. And um, his... One of the things, I think like first on his list that he wanted to do when he was older was he wanted to walk to the store by himself. Which is just like so incredibly ambitious, isn't it? Um, but, you know, I think that's kind of cool. In, in that Mitchell recognizes that he's little. He recognizes that he needs to grow. And he doesn't beat himself up because he hasn't reached the point yet where he can walk to the store on his own. It doesn't cause him to be depressed, 
doesn't cause him to be disappointed with his failed life. He just recognizes that he is growing to do. He can anticipate that his future is going to be better than his present. And I like that. That's a helpful picture for me. Because I can recognize in myself that I have growing to do. But I can also anticipate that because of Jesus working in me, my future is going to be better than my present. That where I am right now is not going to be where I am tomorrow. It's not going to be where I am next year. Just like where I am today is not where I was a year ago. I, I, I love just looking back on what Jesus has done in the past, and individually, but also as a church. We can recognize that where we were before is not where we are now, that we have come somewhere. And when we look at that, we, just, we can recognize, we have faith that, you know what, that just means that Jesus is doing more in us. That just means that, you know, we've learned to live a little bit more into the reality of what Jesus has done, where we have grown up a bit. But you know what, it's exciting to think of what it's going to mean for us to grow up a little bit more when we have another year or two of growing behind us. We can anticipate that Jesus has something awesome for us. Now, right now, I just want you to think. Just kind of take a little bit of an inventory of where you are. And is there something where that you can identify where you'd want to say to Jesus, you know what, this is an area where I want to learn, I want to grow a little. I want to learn what it means for me to be a new creation in this area of my life. And we're going to take that to him in, in a minute, but I, you know, I first I just want to extend just the encouragement that if you want that area of your life to be touched by Jesus, then Jesus wants it so much more than you do. That if you have that desire for growth in an area, it's probably because he's putting you there. It's probably because he's going to be leading you in that, leading you into further growth there. And so we can trust that Jesus um, is very willing to work in us. And so we can thank him for what he has already done. We can also thank him for what he's going to lead us into. Now, when I um, when I told the, the story of Gregory the Grub. I mentioned that the process can be a little bit uncomfortable and painful and that it can be, it it, it might not always feel great to walk into our reality. We believe that there's something great on the other side, but the process can be uncomfortable. John forwarded me the story of um, an article on Susan Boyle. Raise your hand if you know who Susan Boyle is. Yeah, it's a few people. Susan Boyle... um, was this this lady? She became this this bit of a sensation. She was on this show called Britain's Got Talent, and um, I don't remember her whole biography. She's I don't know fifties maybe, forty seven. She works at a charity in this small village in England and but Scotland. Man, I should have read up on this, eh? So <laughs> but she looks like she looks like anything other than a celebrity. You know, she looks so normal and, I don't know, even mediocre. She just, there's nothing impressive about her in, in, at first appearances. And um, she came on the show, Britain's Got Talent, where it's, it's a little bit like American Idol, and except there's a wider range of things that people can do. And 
She walked on the stage to audition before this large crowd and nationally televised. And these, these judges, including Simon Cowell, who's as harsh as they come, and they're asking a little bit about her, and she's giving kind of these little bit uncomfortable answers. And, and you can see on the faces of the judges, and especially on the faces of everybody in the crowd, that people were expecting a massive flop. And people were just waiting for her to fall on her face. And it's it's just it was kind of amazing as people like uh, as the camera scanned the audience and just to see the look on people's faces and it's just what they were expecting. It was just written all over them. And then when she got up there and she opened her mouth and she sang a song from um, Les Mis, and it was just like mind-blowingly good. And the judges were sitting there and Simon Cowell just kind of. And just like a few notes into the song, the crowd just like spontaneously got up. It was like a, a standing ovation for like the entire length of the song, where she just so blew people away. And if you go on like YouTube, you can um, you can see how many people have watched the video. And I I haven't looked. I didn't look this morning. I looked a couple days ago, and on one video alone, it was something like 50 million people had watched it. And then there another edition of it, and like 17 million. Another one, there was like 8 million or something. Like tens of millions of people are going on YouTube to watch clips of Susan Boyle. And um, it was a pretty impressive turnaround. And now she's got a recording contract. She's Everybody wants to interview her, and everybody wants to hear her sing. Now, this article is, um, CNN.com had this article, and it was just, the author, uh, the journalist was just asking, like, what, what about her um, so captures our attention? Like, what about her story is so intriguing to us? And I'm just going to read a couple pieces, a couple paragraphs of what he had to say. So we are riveted, and a recent article in USA Today does a good job of cataloging all the reasons. We prejudged her by her looks and were fooled. We experienced the gamut of emotions in a few short moments. Guilt, shame, vindication, hope. She's a modern-day Cinderella, and these days it's a wonderful distraction and inspiration to witness the triumph of the human spirit. But there's something else Susan Boyle awakens in us as we watch her come out of her shell. Our own selves. Who among us does not move through life with a hidden sense, maybe even quiet desperation, that we are destined for more? That underneath our ordinary exterior lies an extraordinary soul. That given the right opportunity, the right stage, the right audience, we could shine as the stars we truly are. Now, what if this is speaking of us? What if when Jesus made us as new creations, that he made us into something more than ordinary, something more than normal? And what if inside each of us is something extraordinary that just needs to be released? In the same article, it talks about what it came for her to realize her potential and to get to that moment. And... Although Susan Boyle became an overnight sensation, hers was not an overnight transformation. She had been practicing singing since she was 12. In her case, overnight was 35 years. It's easy to admire Susan, 
but it's far more interesting to be transformed by her. There is grace, a friend recently wrote me, in being molded by our own gifts. To allow yourself to be molded by your own gifts takes courage. You have to be willing to stand there, exposed and authentic, while the audience rolls their eyes at you and sneers, expecting failure. And then, of course, you have to fail, laugh or cry, and keep going until one day they stop laughing and start clapping. And I read this because I think it needs to be clear for us. They're for us to realize our potential in Jesus, the potential of who we are as new creation, for what he has placed in us to be fully released, that it doesn't, it's, not, it's going to take more than for us to sit back passively and for wait, to wait for it to happen to us. That for our true selves to be released, that we need to press into God, that we need to let Jesus touch us, that we need to take steps, we need to be courageous. And in this um, in this passage that we read, the Second Corinthians um, five and into six, once Paul implores the Corinthians, another time he urges them to be reconciled to God, to fully experience what it means for them to be new creation. I think he did that because he wanted them to get the whole picture. He wanted them to get all of what Jesus had. Not just the peace and then stop and get comfortable, but to keep searching for more. And to realize who we are in Jesus requires that we take steps of obedience that we go beyond where we are comfortable into the space where Jesus needs to come through for us. Or else we're in way over our heads. And we do that by accepting that we're going to make mistakes, accepting that it's going to be hard, accepting that it's going to be a challenge, but also believing that, that Jesus himself is faithful, that he's not going to hang us out to dry that he's not going to call us into anything, that he's not going to give us all the provision that we need to accomplish. And if we want the courage to pray for healing, if we want, or rather if we want the gift of healing, if we want that to be released to us, then we have to start praying for healing for people. And if we want to grow in telling people about Jesus, we begin or we, we need to get to the point where we're willing to talk to people about Jesus. And if we're touched by Jesus, we need to pray. We need to ask people to pray. We need to search the Bible. We need to be more than passive. We need to search for him. We need to trust him to reveal to us who we are. We need to allow each other to speak into, uh, into our lives. We need to look for opportunities for prophetic words to be spoken over us. We need to allow Jesus to touch us. We need to allow the Bible to form us. And as we do that, we're going to find that our eyes are open to see us in a whole different way that we'll no longer regard each other from a worldly point of view, that we're going to take on a, a heavenly perspective on who we are.
And we're just going to just pray here. Um, can you all stand, please? And I, what I want you to do, I want you to bring your experience to Jesus or of who you are. And maybe that specific area of your life where you'd like him to touch you. And a specific area where you, you feel like you need to experience what it means for you to be a new creation. And I want, to take, I want you to take that to Jesus and just kind of lay it at his feet. In this passage it said, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. And I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And so Jesus, we believe that on us is your favor. And that as we bring ourselves before you, that it is your will that you pour out on us. It is your will that you, that you open our eyes, that we see ourselves and each other from a new point of view. And so, Jesus, we just offer ourselves up to you. We offer those areas of our life that are broken, that are incomplete, that are not yet a full experience of who you are, who we are. And, Jesus, we, we just believe that you're going to change our mind's eye, that you're going to change our perspective. Jesus, help us. Give us the strength to see differently. We believe that, that we are a new creation. We believe that the old selves are dead. And we choose not to live in them any longer. We choose to walk into our identity as your children, our identity as, as new creations in you. And Jesus, we just pray for a release in our hearts of your spirit to change us, to form us. We pray for a release of prophetic words that will call out from us who we are. We pray that, that the scriptures will be open to us. That we would, when we read these verses, like one saying that we are a new creation, that we won't just see it from an academic, intellectual point of view, but that it will go down deep in us, that it will change our identity. And Jesus, we believe that you are releasing in us a new sense of who we are. And we just accept that, Jesus. We want it all. We want the full picture. We want everything that you have to offer. And so take, take our brokenness, our incompleteness, our sin. And Jesus, they're not us anymore. And we believe that that as we spend time in you, as we continue to worship, as we continue to spend time together, that we will be able to fully experience what it means to be a new creation. And we thank you for what you are doing, Jesus. And we just anticipate so much. We anticipate testimonies. We anticipate, um, anticipate conversions. We anticipate lives being changed because of your power working in us. And for the glory of your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.